All right, I always share with you the stuff that I'm watching and consuming. Justin, by the way, University of Montana business professor, joins us a couple times a month here mm-hmm. to talk about business and sports. Uh, on Netflix, they're, uh, I guess, now re-airing Come Fly With Me, which was a very popular, uh, I don't even know if it's a documentary. It's just, it's like a it's like a movie about Michael Jordan. Yeah, it's almost like a music video. It's like a music way. video. It's like yeah. 38 minutes long. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, but I, I watched it. I, I turned it on late night thinking it was going to elicit all these incredible feelings of nostalgia. Uh-huh. By the time I got to the end of it, I was mind blown and so disappointed. Mm. It is so ripe with propaganda. And it, it, there's certainly a certain like, I don't even know what the right word is, angelic nature to it or something. But it's. All I kept thinking from the duration of watching was, first of all, still, the one thing that did hold true is how magical and majestic Michael Jordan was to watch. I mean, he is just such an unbelievable athlete, the way he moves and the way he plays basketball. But also, I mean, this is just like, it's a film that's made basically by his endorsement contracts to make him seem like he's more than human. And all I kept thinking about was, LeBron James doesn't get any things like this. All LeBron James has is haters that have been trying to squish him forever. It was just very interesting to see. It just seems so unbelievably dated. And sure, it's it's more than 30 years old, so I totally understand how that could happen. But I was just taken aback by uh, how weird it made me feel. It made me feel no sort of good. Part of it could be the kind of... It was a it was a moment in time, and that time sure. has changed. And sure. so our most recent kind of uh, trip down memory lane was the Last Dance, and I think yeah, right. you know, that came out at a particular time in in American history, world history, with the pandemic. And we talked about that a few years ago. It was yeah. a pretty powerful experience watching that raw, highly produced. Right? It was telling yeah. a story, but right. it, it was. Raw and highly, and 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 it felt authentic. Yeah. Whereas you know a highlight reel, at that stage thirty years ago, given we were in a different stage of media and what was available, it probably feels very indulgent, right? How did it feel relative to like watching LeBron's announcement when he went to Miami well, years I, ago? I think that the thing I you know hindsight is always twenty twenty, and having the full breadth of history in my brain. Yes. All I kept thinking was this came out in 1989 before Michael Jordan had ever won a championship. And mm-hmm. still they're making him seem like the greatest champion ever. The last dance, I, there was a certain element of overproduction and that, you know, it was Michael Jordan's story being told by Michael Jordan. I totally yeah. get it. But some of this stuff is just, you know, objectively you can't take away from him. They went six for six in the NBA finals. At this moment, they're still losing to the Pistons in the playoffs. Right, right. Yet, yet they're spinning this like this guy yeah. is, you know, God and, oh, you know, reincarnate. Right, you're skipping steps, buddy. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So, I don't know. I just thought it was, it was just an interesting I'm going to have to go watch analysis. that. That's on Netflix? Yeah, it's on Netflix. Well, let's yeah, check it out. Yeah, go check it out. A business angle presented by Blackfoot Communications. Uh, the continuation of a couple different subject matters we've had here on the business angle. Uh, first, we've talked extensively over the last couple of years about the status of Montana and Montana State in the Big Sky Conference and sort of the advantages that come with that, but also some of the, the lures that a, a bigger conference could bring to the Montana schools. We had a couple different dominoes fall that sort of showed, I thought, vividly the benefits of being, I mean, the, the number one conference that you always see that's a potential move, and I'm not saying that this is anywhere even close to being in the works, but if you were to pick the ideal conference mm-hmm. for Montana, Montana State to move up to, it would be the, be the Mountain West. Well, we've seen a couple... 
sort of reaffirmations from a basketball front these last couple weeks. First of all, San Diego State played for the national championship and made the Mountain West a pile of money and the run that they went on to the national championship. And then secondarily, Danny Sprinkle jumping to a Mountain West job. And I'm not saying it's all about the money, but it's pretty hard to turn down $900,000 a year. So uh, are are these sort of... uh, Examples of, of what the lure could be or what the incentive might be if you if you were in an ideal world to make that move? Yeah, I think it's too early to tell. Yeah. Right. Like two or three weeks ago in our last segment, we were we were talking all about the concentration of power in the NCAA tournament. That's right, right. Power five conferences and the big you know, now after the, the, the way the tournament shook out and the final four, the way it shook out, now all the talk is like, oh, the big powerhouses in college basketball you know, with one and done and with the transfer portal and all of this, like they can't sustain that. And these mm-hmm, mid-majors mm-hmm. can sneak in more frequently. Sure. So the narrative is all about what's happening in that moment in a way. But I do think, you know, if the Montana's and Montana States want to be one of those mid-majors that cracks through like a San Diego State, I think they need to kind of have enough reach that they have the resources to attract, you know, if they want to make coaching changes or keep their existing coaches, if those coaches are are producing. Travis had a great few years, a great run a few years ago and decided to stay. Right. I don't know if he was looking at 900 grand at a school away from Montana. Um, That's a different calculation. So, yeah, if we want to be able to retain talent or attract new talent, I think being in a conference that creates um you know that gives that creates more revenue opportunities is probably important Danny sprinkle i think is an interesting case study because when this job first came open at montana state they had candidates from across the country it was a popular job mm-hmm. montana state has a lot of momentum as a university uh, the community of bozeman we've talked about this extensively sprinkle though I think people didn't understand how gifted and talented a coach he is because he was the hometown guy. Sure. It just seemed like, oh, they're just hiring the, the prominent alum. It's a safe hire. Yeah. Well, then he goes and turns Montana State basketball into a power like they've never been before, and I don't know how they're ever going to be again without him. But Utah State recruited Danny Sprinkle for nine to ten days, which is the, the timeline of this, which in coaching searches is forever. That is a really long time. And up until the day before he actually took the job, he was staying at Montana State. Mm. But then at the end of the day, the the opportunity, the longevity, and then the finances of it are too hard to say no to. They went from offering him a three-year deal with the third year as a school option to offering him a five-year deal with five years guaranteed, a guaranteed $25,000 raise every year for five yeah. years straight, and then a guarantee in his contract where he's getting a full buyout. On one hand, it's hard to say no to that. On the other hand, though, it's also impossible for universities in this state to compete with that. So, I mean, is there any way besides to move up a conference that Montana, Montana State could find a way to sort of bridge that gap or fill that gap in, I guess? You had to fundamentally change the economics of the equation. Right. So that could come through a conference. That could come through some creative television deal. I'd say the likelihood of that is pretty minimal. Sure. It could come from 
you know, a booster or a donor who's willing to under underwrite a coaching or endow a coaching position mm-hmm. in a way that we, we haven't had in the past. That's interesting. But what you described there is like, you know, life transforming wealth. For sure. Right. And, and, and when you're talking about a young guy who, you know, was having a hard time finding affordable housing in Bozeman. For sure. You know, to make that move. And think about, you know, how that that makes a material difference in your opportunities for your family, but also like how long in your life you have to work. It's all these considerations outside of sport that we rarely think about. Um, yeah, to be able to compete with that here, you know, at the Montana schools, we've got to change the financial equation. The business angle, Justin Angle in studio uh, with us here on ESPN Radio. Uh, the other part is that although he's moving to a quote unquote, um, I don't, know, yeah, I don't even want to say more competitive conference, but I guess a more prestigious sure. conference with with a higher top end of competition. It, moving to Utah State actually provides Danny Sprinkle more job security because now he's in a conference in which you finish fourth place every year. You're in the mix for an NCAA tournament bid. If you finish the top three every year, you're going to the NCAA tournament. You don't have to win the conference. You don't have to win the conference tournament. At Montana State, the only way he was going to sustain that is to continue to have the best teams in school history. Mm -hmm. Travis DeCure faced this exact scenario. He had back-to-back best teams in school history, 26 wins two years in a row, and still a tournament wins two years in a row. Now, you're 18 wins a year for the last three years. People are complaining, and and all of a sudden, right. you know, it's all this stuff. When when you're, you, I mean, he's never had a losing record, and he probably never will have a losing record at Montana. But the standard is set so high. And I'm not saying Coach DeCure is in any sort of hot water or anything like that. Far from it. He's done an outstanding job in a variety of ways. Particularly, that's kind of how Justin and I first connected with his guys work in the classroom. Mm-hmm. But but it is just sort of interesting too, because it's not just about the the baseline bottom money that you're going to yeah. get here. It's also you're providing yourself with a more elongated opportunity to have sustained success. Absolutely. You know, the Big Sky Conference is really only one path into the, into that's, the NCAA that's tournament. Um, and if there's if there's some year where there are two teams that are, are, are outstanding, they're probably going to beat each other up enough toward the, you know, in the regular season and in the tournament that only one of them gets the look. Yeah. I mean, it's rare that like a St. Mary's makes the tournament in a Gonzaga world, right? Even mm-hmm. though they can break mm-hmm. through with a win sometimes or once, I guess. Sure, right. <laughs> um, but yeah, I think that, that you're right about Sprinkle having that job security. Like Utah State is still not, it's still a mid-tier Program, right? And I think he's still viewed as a star on the rise, so he's expected to do well at Utah State. But but it's very different than like going to a University of Oregon or something like right. that, where like instantly you're expected to be an elite eight For type sure. of program. He's sure. got a lot of kind of. He's got a lot of room for variation in performance and some runway to succeed there. So it'll be interesting to see how it plays out. I mean, that that is sort of the scenario that played out with Coach Takir. He was very much in the mix at Washington State. But Washington State is a job where you go there, you have instant expectations, Mm -hmm. but you also have profound uphill battle because... You have Pac-12 money, you have Pac-12 resources, but you're also in the same conference as UCLA yeah. and USC and Oregon. So, you know, it's. I guess what I'm saying is it's a lot more sustainable to finish third in the Mountain West at Utah State than it is to finish anywhere near the top half of the conference at Washington State. I mean, Utah State seems like a really smart pick. It's, it's, sure. it's clear that Sprinkle, you know, loved Montana State, loved his connections uh, to this to this area, but... 
you know, that is a compelling opportunity given all those, given the money, but also all the, all the setup for, you know, Hey, if this guy is, you know, a top class coach, right. this could be the right runway to kind of reach that elite echelon. And very few people do that. And I think, you know, the sorts of people that do are either just have tremendous talent or they have a talent mixed with kind of playing the circumstances either through luck or very strategically. And, and this looks like a good, smart move. And now Danny Springer gets to prove that he can uh, do it outside of you know, nice. the, the the world of, of Montana. His you know, coach at your alma mater is a special thing. I know it's a bittersweet decision for him to leave his alma mater, but now he gets a chance to, to go prove it. He can do it. Uh, somewhere else, in a different place where he isn't the man, he isn't an icon, he isn't you know a legend among legends uh, in the history of the program. The Business Angle, presented by Blackfoot Communications. You can always visit goblackfoot.com to see all the ways Blackfoot can help you and your small business. Uh, you've been texting me a little bit about Full Swing. A little bit. You finally uh, yeah, got yeah, me yeah, to watch yeah, it. Yeah. I know. How, how, what, what have you been thinking? You know, I am... Pretty impressed with the production value. I mean, it, full right? disclosure, I really don't know a thing about golf. Right. I'd never watch it. I don't find it that interesting. I mean, I, I sort of have this loose awareness of the Tiger Woods arc of history, but that's about it. Yeah. Um, and I found, one, the production values, the storytelling, how they do character development, and, um, you know, the, the, the drama with the live tour kind of being dropped in the show's lap. And I like the authenticity. I went into it expecting it to kind of be like a, a PR campaign for the PGA. And totally. it is not that. It's not. Uh, and, and there's just a lot of sort of um, diversity of, of characters represented in, in, in the show as well. So I appreciated that, too. I thought they did a good job in terms of diversifying. You start out, first episode, and it's Roy, or it's, uh, it's, it's Jordan Spieth and Justin Thomas. And right, you're like... Right. Is this how the whole show is going to go? Like, I, like at first, I couldn't tell who the two of them were. Like they look so say it. And, and then act. you're like, oh, yeah. these guys are buddies. That's cool because they're buddies because they're the two best golfers of buddies their age on a private group. Jet and, right, exactly. Yeah. And you know, they're gambling for thousands of dollars. Like pick them car. And you're like, oh, this is kind of. I don't know yeah. about this. But then they do go into all sorts of different pursuits. Yeah. Um, you know, what's it like being a family man? Right, the guy who brings his family on tour. Tony Finau, he's got five yeah. kids and he's bringing everybody on tour. They they highlight many, there's only, a, you know, percentage-wise, a small percentage of, of professional golfers are minorities. They mm -hmm. highlight many of these guys and what yeah. it took for them to sort of overcome a lot of the obstacles that it took to get into professional golf. And then, like you said, then they have the drama of the live get dropped right in their laps. And, and all of a sudden now, it's just like multifaceted show with all this drama and all these different characters. And it's it's very cool. Yeah. And the, the, the way they kind of use Tiger Woods as a hook for so much of the show is interesting. You know, Tiger's probably price tag for participating was, was far more than this. <laughs> well, right. This show could well, afford. Tiger just doesn't do that kind of stuff. Exactly. Right? But I mean, they used him as a character. And because they had access to the footage, they were, and because they, they re, you know, the, the representation of, of the, the characters they chose, all of them cited Tiger as, as sort of uh, a salient motivator to their pursuit mm -hmm. of golf. Mm -hmm. So that thread, I think, is, is a place where people can buy in, too. I found that parallel very fascinating, too. There was a moment in time after Michael Jordan retired from the Bulls for the second time, before he'd come back for the Wizards, that if you're a cynical person, which I am, you would you thought to yourself, 
did Michael Jordan actually kill the NBA? Mm. Because we were always going to be looking for the next Jordan. And then the world at large anointed all of these people that couldn't handle it. Vince Carter and Tracy McGrady and Grant Hill and Allen Iverson. Then Kobe Bryant came along, and he he did a, a pretty admirable job of chasing yeah. that ghost for sure. And then we sort of continued to evolve, and we have all this international influence. And then people kind of just realized, hey, we're not going to have another Michael Jordan, but we might have an NBA in which there's 40 or 50 superstars mm-hmm. that Michael Jordan created. That's exactly where we've been in golf. The next so. Jordan or the next Tiger, I mean, it almost killed Roy McIlroy. It almost killed Jordan Speed, but these guys all got derailed. Jason Day. But now I think everybody's kind of settled in and realized, wow, now we just have this, this entire group of golfers from all over the world. Yeah. that Tiger Woods sort of helped create. I think that it will be Tiger's indelible influence on the game. Yeah, for sure. And I think the show does a great job of sort of painting that picture. And, you know, as a casual fan, the show was fun to watch as a, not even a, a casual fan, as just... It, a new fan, I guess, right? This probably makes you more interested in golf yeah, than you ever Yeah, I might been. even pay attention to these guys. Um, so mission accomplished for golf, I guess. <laughs> Fellas, here's a, here's a life hack for you. If you're a big golfer, you like golfing, you like... Uh, Playing golf, you like watching golf. You got a significant other. Watch full swing with her. <laughs> I watched this with my girlfriend. She's she's like, I, golf's boring. I don't want to watch golf. We watched this show. Yeah. Then all of a sudden, Thursday, I get off work. I'm like, I, I want to watch the Masters again. She's sitting there. She's like, let's watch Brooks. Let's watch this. I'm like, yeah, buddy. We're, wow. We got it. We got it. We got some character building. We got some intrigue. She was checking the scoreboard all week because she's interested in the characters. That's what... That's why we do what we do, though, is to tell you guys about the characters so you're interested in it, whether uh, no matter what level of sport uh, it might be. I also thought this Masters was fascinating mm, yeah. because uh, the live guys are there, and the live guys came to play. And I thought Riley Corcoran actually said it really well on the show yesterday. He said, for as much talk and debate and vitriol that there's been around this whole subject of the live tour, what does it mean? How is it affecting the PGA? How is it affecting professional golf? The Masters was sort of a sanctuary in which we just stopped talking about it for just a minute. And even if you want to hate Brooks Kepka for what he's affiliated at, you're watching him, you're watching Phil Mickelson, you're watching some of these guys. Uh, but I was want to know your perspective. Do you think the PGA Tour sighed a sigh of relief when a PGA guy won the Masters? Well, oh, for sure. I mean, if, yeah. Phil, if Phil Mickelson yeah. would have won the Masters at yeah. 52 years old after jumping to the live. That's a big middle finger. I mean, <laughs> I think the internet would have broken. I don't yeah. I don't think Twitter could have handled that. Yeah. No, I, I think you're right. They probably breathed a big sigh of relief. Uh, and I wonder, too, like, does the Masters, I don't know enough about golf to really understand, like, how a course can... You know, or how a particular player can be suited to a particular course. Sure. You know, obviously Phil has a in Tiger and those sorts of people. They can probably win anywhere, but they have a particular talent match with with um, with Augusta for sure. But I mean, I, that, I mean that's Tiger Woods in a nutshell, right? Tiger Woods. Right. Tiger's won 82 PGA events, but there's like four tournaments in which he's won it like nine or ten yes. times because like. Like the Bay Hill Invitational, mm-hmm. the Buick Open. Like they play the Buick Open because Tiger's the biggest spokesperson for the Buick, but they put it on his home course so he can go shoot 65 every time. Exactly. Right? So there is a certain element of that. But you also wonder like, does the Masters occupy a space that it obviously occupies a space that transcends the PGA Tour? That's right. But it's, it's almost. It's like World Cup soccer or Wimbledon, I feel like, in a way, does this in tennis. It's it's an event that 
as a standalone event, it's bigger than the tour in which it it belongs. And so that probably, I mean, that, that created a unique opportunity for the lift guys to show up ready to play. But it also, in some ways, having those guys toward the top is maybe not quite as threatening to the PGA because I don't think people think of it as a PGA event. It's this distinct thing with its very distinct brand. That's a really good point. And I think that's what's going to keep the majors strong is only the PGA Championship is a PGA event. The U.S. Open is a USGA event. The British Open is an independent. It's the Open. It's an open championship. That's why it is what it is. And then the Masters is an independent tournament. So from a pure business perspective, this absolutely worked, though, because... 13 million plus people watched Sunday at the Masters, the most ever. And this has been an iconic tournament Mm -hmm. for a really long time. And there isn't Tiger Woods playing on Sunday, and you still had the highest rating share you've ever had. Yeah, nice job. (laughs) And that has spillover effects for the PGA. I mean, all of it kind of, you know, I think the PGA kind of realized at some point that they couldn't stop this live thing. And they, they sort of had to had to play aggressive defense, right? And, and I think they've, you know, to the extent they couldn't stop it, have probably arrived at a fairly optimal strategy given the constraints they were facing. The business angle, Justin Engel, in studio with us here on Nuanas Now. You're listening on ESPN Radio. Maybe you're watching SWX Montana Television, or maybe you're streaming on the ESPN MT app. Thanks for joining us, no matter how you're tuning in. Uh, last thing for you. Sure. I, I think that uh, aside from people's Misunderstanding of what the NCAA exists for. There's a, the other biggest misunderstanding in the wide world of sport is what the NFL commissioner's job is. Yeah, people hate Roger Goodell. They hate him. They hate him on TV. They hate him talking. They hate him uh, being heavy-handed and laying down all these different rules and suspensions and all that stuff. Yet Roger Goodell is about to sign. I believe his fourth contract to maintain as the NFL commissioner, making him the longest-standing commissioner in the history of American pro sport. Mm-hmm. He is rumored to be uh, set to receive more than $50 million a year in guaranteed salary. And uh, I don't particularly like Roger Goodell's personality, but I say good job by him, and it's hard to dispute that he's done his job Correctly, I think people think that he's supposed to be the spokesperson or something for the NFL. He's not. He works for 32 people. They're the people that own exactly. the NFL franchises. He is the, the the proxy for the owners. And I think him, be, we've talked about this before, like him being the target of such hate and victory, vitriol amongst the fan base, amongst the players. It's all anger that would otherwise be directed at owners. And the owners probably, you know, probably for these these owners, the $50 million a year is a small price to pay to have that heavy bag out there just taking all the punches that they would otherwise be taking themselves. And when you talk about the way that he's grown the league, again, yeah. there's there's so much uh, unsavory mm-hmm. about the NFL, yet it's meteoric. The way that it has grown, I mean, the profit margins of the TV deals are just, they're second to none when it comes to Pro sports in America in the modern era. Yeah, like take the growth curve for the NFL and just instead of uh, all the mythology and values that we attach to sports and competition and instead just imagine a world where Roger Goodell is the CEO of a um, of a casino consortium. Right. 
And if you were to just look at the increase in revenue and profitability and market share, you would say that that casino magnate had done a fantastic job at optimizing to the certain set of metrics. So if we're, if we're looking at viewership, if we're looking at um, market share, if we're looking at revenue dollars, if we're looking at growth, Roger Goodell's tenure has been historically successful. Um, the, the, the other stuff, we've talked about it extensively and you keep asking me like, when is it going to end? How, how bad right. can, how bad can like behavior or news get for the NFL? And it doesn't seem to be stopping this train at all. The last piece of news to get to here is that today the NFL announced a partnership with YouTube TV, which is, uh, mm. we've been sort of speculating what, yep. what streaming way is the NFL going to go? They're partnering with them for the NFL Sunday ticket. They're going to charge upwards of three hundred plus dollars for next season. The outcry on social media at this is that this is an exorbitant and uh, price gouging uh, way of going about this. On the other hand, though, there are so many people that are going to pay that. Oh yeah, yeah. As, I mean, the people on social media are probably going to pay it for sure. And you know, I think that that people are probably going to look at. I think a lot of people that, you know, consume streaming services are probably looking at trade-offs, but their portfolio of services and thinking, wow, you know, I've got all these services and I seem to be paying more a month than I did for the bundle, the cable bundle years ago. And people are going to make trade-offs. And for this kind of YouTube uh, opportunity to come into the, to the assortment, it comes at a time where people are probably looking carefully at their entertainment budget and NFL has such a, a strong like iron grip yep. on the calendar and on the attention and on people's passions that I, I think they're yeah I think they're going to be plenty of subscribers <laughs> absolutely you want to go find out how Blackfoot Communications can help you and your small business visit goblackfoot.com a couple times a month this guy, Justin Engel, and I meet up to talk about the overlay between business and sports. It is the business angle. Anything left to add before we get you out of here? No, just good to see you, man. Yeah, it's good, been a while. Yeah, Fun good, to be in studio. Yeah, good seeing you. Thanks for coming down.